We're going to hit uh, more scriptures than we usually do today, uh, but if you have your Bible, you can grab it, head over to uh, Exodus 31 and Matthew chapter 11. Those are our two main scriptures. Uh, we'll be jumping around a little bit before we get there, but if you want to do that, you can do that. You can grab the YouVersion Bible app also and uh, get everything uh, from our notes and our scriptures and all of that uh, from the YouVersion Bible app and uh, just click event or live. You can also follow along in our bulletin. Check this out on the screen first, though. Um, it's Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 8. This is just an amazing passage of Scripture to me. Uh, we've talked about it before. Let's, let's read it really quick. It says in Ephesians 3, 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So, the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10 is what really is kind of crazy. So that through who? The church through, yeah, it's up there. It's up there. You guys ready? You guys ready this morning? Tryptophan is still in your system. Kind of sleepy this morning. So that through who? The church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the big all-encompassing Manifold, manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the Apostle Paul is saying, okay, this is no longer a Jewish thing, no longer a Jewish-only thing. It's, it's going to be all over the world. I've been called out by God, ordained by God to tell the world, not to convert them to Judaism, but to tell them about Christ. And so now, he says, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be seen in the universe through the church. And so follow me here. God created all that is in Genesis 1 and 2. And it was good, right? He created it in this, he created it in this shalom, this peace. And he created mankind in his image to reflect his image to the universe. All of it was created in this rhythm, this shalom, this peace this perfection. But from our perspective, as we look back at Genesis 1 and 2, and as the readers of Ephesians 3, the original readers, they also look back at Genesis 1 and 2, and they read Genesis 3. When we look back, we go, man, it went bad, right? It just went bad. It started out really good. There was this shalom, this peace, this rhythm, but then sin entered, and there was, it just went bad because in Genesis 3, chaos entered the order. Arrhythmia entered the rhythm of creation in the form of a serpent, and our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose a different song, a different rhythm. And because of that, the world and everything in it was sent spiraling. The fall in Genesis 3 caused sin to slowly and methodically and systematically, like an infection, affect every corner of God's good creation. Chaos ensued as people like you and me were born out of rhythm with the way God created our lives to function best. Born as cracked image bearers. Our default position towards sin and against God. And just three chapters later, just three chapters after the fall of mankind, Genesis 3, three chapters later, 
Genesis 6, 5 says this. It'll be on the screen. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So before we kind of puff out our chest as we read Ephesians 3, before we kind of puff out our chest and say we get to display the manifold wisdom of God like Ephesians 3 talked about, we need to realize that for thousands of years before Ephesians 3 was written, this kept happening. God would love, guide, and give, and we would rebel. And then he would love, guide, and give, and then we would rebel. He would patiently teach us the rhythm of the song of creation, the way life works best. And we would constantly and consistently choose our own arrhythmia over his good rhythm. We would turn a deaf ear to the conductor's direction. Worse, we cursed the conductor. We tried to beat the conductor. We tried to hurt him, take his place, write our own song in blood. And then when we get to Jeremiah, we find the universe responding to God in this really interesting way. Look at Jeremiah 2 real quick on the screen. It says this in verse 9. Therefore, I still contend with you. This is the Lord speaking. Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord. And with your children's children, I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods? even though they are no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can can hold no Water. So do you, hear, do you hear the grief in this passage? God's going, am I still contending with you? Am I still fighting you? Are you still fighting me as I try to help you find peace and rhythm, the rhythm I created you to walk in? Are you still trying to use broken buckets with holes to fill with water, all the while I've got living water that lasts forever? Am I still contending with you? Of course I am. God goes, I'll contend with your kids too and your kids' kids. And then basically the picture we're given is that the universe sees humanity and all that it's become and it says that they should be appalled. The universe is going, how can you not get rid of mankind? They continue to belittle your name. They're the only part of creation that doesn't worship you. They continue to build out for themselves things that do not satisfy, even though you patiently walk next to them. How are you not killing them? You should kill every one of them, universe says. It's appalling. They mock you, belittle you, blaspheme against you. Get rid of them. And God, he doesn't. Aren't you glad he didn't? (laughs) He doesn't. In fact, God's weakness, as it appears, is that he 
keeps being merciful, patient, and loving to the very part of creation that blasphemes against him. And so the wisdom of all this is being challenged. The universe is going, it's not working like you thought it would, God. Just give up. Just move on. And a thousand or so years pass, and now in the New Testament, the Bible said in Ephesians 3 that God's wisdom is finally going to be made clear to the universe through you and me. <laughs> I mean, think about that a second. His wisdom is finally going to be, his manifold, big, all-encompassing wisdom is finally going to be made clear to the universe through you guys? I mean, come on, right? Through me? I mean, this should make us a little nervous, if we're honest. This should make us like, oh, me? I don't know if it's a good plan, God, right? This should make us a little nervous, but here's how this is going to happen. God is going to show his manifold wisdom to the universe through Christ showing us, you and me, how to live in the rhythm we were created to live in. Jesus leaves heaven, enters human history, dies on the cross, defeats death and sin, and in so doing, he shocks the heart of creation back into the rhythm it was created to function in in the beginning. So that which creation groaned for since Genesis 3, since the fall, began to happen at the cross and at the empty tomb. And because of that, you and I can be reconciled back to God, even though we don't deserve it, we can't earn it, and we should be punished in hell for eternity for our sin. And so the wisdom of God is going to be seen in the universe by you and I, Living life like we're supposed to live life. Living life by the rhythm God created us to live in in Genesis 1 and 2. The world is supposed to look at you, the church, followers of Jesus. He's supposed to look at you, the, the world is supposed to look at you and go, they know how to do life. I'm just existing. They're living I have this emptiness inside of me. I feel like I'm out of step with the way I was created to function. It's just this void, but they don't have that. They seem full and satisfied and living life like they're supposed to live it. They've got something I don't have. So that's, that's what we're talking about in this series. God has not been silent about this rhythm in fact, he's broadcasted in his word. He looks at us in our sinful state as broken image bearers who are supposed to be, if we were right with God, if we were in the right place, if we were not cracked in broken image bearers, we're supposed to be displaying the manifold wisdom of God to the universe, right? He looks at us as broken image bearers and he goes, okay, to do what I've asked you to do, you're going to need this. And he gives us the word. He gives us his word, and in it, he unpacks for us the rhythm we are supposed to be living by. He gives us the word not to take life away from us, but to get us to life. All of us can feel, if we're quiet enough and still enough, that we're out of rhythm. And getting back into the rhythm God created us to function, and it starts with a declaration that 
that I can't do it on my own, that I need Jesus. Each of us has to give our lives over to Christ completely, lay our sin, our imperfection before God and beg him for mercy, beg him to transform our lives like only he can. And, but it's this continual and ongoing process, right? Like even after we give our life to Christ, there are things that are revealed in us, continually and consistently revealed in us, that, man, I got to get back into rhythm in this area. Or I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. I was, I was in rhythm with God in this area, but I'm, it's revealed that I'm not. I need, still need to work on that, right? That still happens to us as we walk with Christ. It's called sanctification. And so in this series, we're looking at some rhythms. And we've, we've looked at devotional rhythm, and Thanksgiving rhythm so far. So make sure you catch those if you missed them on iTunes. But today uh, we're going to talk about Sabbath rhythm. Everybody say Sabbath rhythm. Sabbath rhythm. We are a tired people, are we not? Like even the way you just said Sabbath rhythm, I was kind of tired. You know what I mean? We're just, we are a tired people. We're tired, harried, hurried, stressed out people. Most of us, many of us, maybe most of us, we pack our lives so full of stuff. Places to be, things to do, trinkets to shine, that there is no extra room, there is no margin. We're going and going and going Energizer Bunny style, right? And it's not like we don't know it. I mean, we know it, right? We not only know it, we embrace it. We embrace it. Not having any downtime, it's a point of pride for us. We love talking about how full our lives are with games and appointments and work schedules and the addition on the house and the garden and whatever else. We love it, don't we? We love it. Or or for some of us, we just don't think there's another way. We think life is supposed to be this way. Like, sure, I'm, of course I'm tired. Of course I'm not getting enough sleep. Of course I'm stressed out of my mind and I almost killed three people on the way to church. Of course I'm running on empty. Isn't everyone else? I mean, isn't this just the way life is? Aren't we supposed to be stressed out, high blood pressure, stress eating, panic attacks, short temper, apathy? Depression. Isn't this just the way life is supposed to be? The answer is no. Based on what the Bible says, no. Based on this Sabbath rhythm we find in the Bible, no. You are not supposed to live your life that way. I am not supposed to live my life that way. Listen, Sabbath is kind of a big deal. It, it's often called the forgotten commandment. It's, but it's kind of a big deal. Like God put it in his top ten list. Right? I mean, that's a pretty big thing. God decided to put it in the ten commandments. That's how big of a deal the Sabbath is. And yet, when we read the ten commandments, it's kind of weird that God put this in his top ten list. Right? I mean, as we read the Ten Commandments, they make sense. Like, I have no other gods before me. Don't make little statues and bow down to them. Statues like Buddha or Krishna or Baal or boxier statues like TV. 
or bigger, boxier ones like car or house. Don't build statues and bow down to them with your actual, your physical self or your money or your time. Don't bow down to other statues. This stuff makes sense, right? Don't, don't kill people. Don't lie. It makes sense. Hey, don't live your life consumed with what your neighbor has. Hey, it might not be a good idea for you to sleep around on your spouse. We're just 10 commandments here. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, it all kind of makes sense. When we look at these and we go, yeah, that should be in God's top 10. It makes sense. But it's like, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, don't commit adultery, and don't mess with Saturdays. Isn't that kind of weird? Just do, Saturdays are really important. Don't kill and don't mess with Saturdays. What? It's kind of weird that the Sabbath makes the top ten. It's often called like a, the forgotten commandment. But it's in there, number four. Number four in our Protestant Bible. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it. Holy, do you have a day? Do you have a day where you unplug, where you rest? A day every week where you do nothing? Because we act like it's not in there, and yet it shows up at the very beginning, right? Back in Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's way back in Genesis 2. So do you have a day, a day of rest every week, where it's not about doing, but instead it's about being? It's not about producing but instead it's about resting. Because God is serious about the Sabbath. He's serious about it. Look at Exodus 31 really quick. Exodus 31, starting in verse 14. This is how serious God is about the Sabbath. You shall keep the Sabbath because it it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be what? Put to death. Who needs to be put to death? Just, we're just, this is a safe place. This is a safe place. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, in case you didn't get it, shall be what? Put to death. Put to death. I mean, that's pretty serious, isn't it? If you don't keep the Sabbath, we should kill you. That's what God just said. 
put to death. It's almost like God is going, hey, you're killing yourself anyway. Like you're, you're, you're doing it to yourself anyway. I mean, if you refuse to line up with the Sabbath, I'm just going to make it quicker. I'm just going to put you to death. I'll just go ahead and kill you because it's that important, God says. I mean, this is crazy, right? But look back at that verse real quick. I want you to see something. Verse 14 said, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy, what? For you. For you. And then verse 15 says, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of what? Solemn rest. Solemn rest. And this is the confusion, not just about Sabbath, but, but all of God's commands. The sinful side of us kind of rears up its ugly head when we talk about commands, when we talk about standards, when we talk about accountability. And if you want to know what accountability is, read Exodus 31, 14 through 15, because it's being put to death, right? That was supposed to be a joke, but it came off really harsh. But that's the epitome of accountability, right? I mean, if you don't do it, you're going to be killed, and when we hear about accountability, when we hear about commands, when we talk about standards, we tend to be like, ah, oh, we don't like that, right? But this is not about chains. And that's what the world tells you. That's what the devil tells you, that God wants to chain you up, that God's laws are chains holding you back, but it's not true. And if you're a parent, you can explain this. You have explained this to your kids probably already. You say, you can't go to that party. Why? You're just trying to control me. Teenager. Why? You're just trying to control me. I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to protect you. Just trust me. It's not a safe place. You can't go to this party. Hey, you need to get your chores done before you do anything else with your friends. What? That's going to take forever and I'm going to miss out on everything. Why are you always trying to ruin my life? I'm not trying to ruin your life. It's for your good. I'm trying to teach you about responsibility, accountability. Commitment is only as good as the follow-through. Just trying to teach you. Just trust me. I love you. Joshua, you can't go into the street, man. I told, I've told you this a thousand times. Joshua, go sit in time out because you can't play in the street. What? You mean, Daddy. You mean, buddy, I'm not trying to be mean. I love you. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I love you. I'm trying to protect you. I'm not trying to rob you, Joshua, of the exhilaration of running around in oncoming traffic. <laughs> I'm not trying to rob you of that exhilaration. I'm just trying to keep your life from being cut short by a distracted driver. I love you. Go sit in time out. Don't play in the street. Trust me. Listen, if you're a parent, you can explain this, right? How many of you explain something like this to your kid? You can totally explain this. You know this stuff when it comes to your kids, but when it's you, you play the part of the four-year-old trying to run in oncoming traffic. And God, or sometimes the spiritual leaders God has placed in your life, play the part of the parent. Trying to explain that it's for your good. Like a parent, God's going, no, no, no. This is best for you. 
there's a rhythm, just trust me. When I say you need a daily devotional rhythm, I'm not trying to chain you. I'm not trying to take something away from you. I'm trying to liberate you, God says. God's like, when I say I want you to give the first 10% of your income to the storehouse, your storehouse, your church, it's not because I want your money. It's because I know by you living in this rhythm, I can get to your heart. He says, when I say you need a Sabbath rhythm, you need a day, a week, where you unplug and don't produce. I'm not trying to take life away from you. Like a parent, he's saying, trust me. I'm trying to help you. I know how this works best. He's going, I created it. I created you. I know what you need. Trust me. You see, what's happened is people have come in and and in the name of religion, they've set up all of these rules and they've beaten people over the head with them. They've created their own laws. They've added laws. They've made the law of God that should be, as David says, honey on our lips, something we look forward to, something that we love, something that we are liberated by. Instead of that, they've made it poisonous and painful and bitter. They've used the law of God to chain people up and to get power for themselves. And because of that, we've, you and I have swung the pendulum to the total other side. To the point where we've forgotten about God's law altogether. We've acted as if God's law isn't good. We've forgotten the good and, and perfect intent behind God's commands. Therefore, our good Therefore, our good. Sabbath is no different. Let me show you something in the Gospel of Matthew really quick that I think will help me, help us this morning. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, Jesus says this incredible statement. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that incredible, this, this statement by Jesus? Jesus said his yoke, the teaching he's asked you to live by, is easy. He said his burden is light. Are you, are you feeling that today? Do you feel the light burden of Christ or the heavy one of the world? Do you have a day? A day where you do nothing but rest in Christ. So Jesus says this amazing thing about the rest he gives, and then look what, he, look what happens in the next verse, Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. First of all, this is, he knows that he's going to get in trouble for this. Don't you love how Jesus just does stuff to mess with people? Love it. Love it. I try to be like Jesus, just like that. What would Jesus do? Mess with you, okay? Verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They were picking grain. They were harvesting grain. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? 
How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, not, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests. Verse 5, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are yet guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And then Mark 2 has this same account, but it ends this way, Jesus saying this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God didn't make the law as the pinnacle of his creation and then create man and toss him into the maze of the law to serve the law and to worship the law. That's backwards. Are you tracking with me? That's not the way it worked. God created mankind and then in an effort to help mankind live by the rhythm he created them to function in, God gave us the law to help us. Mankind wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for mankind. Sabbath is about rest. Sabbath is about rest. You need rest. Not just a little nap here and there. Not just not going to work, although a lot of you would find even that difficult. You need a day where you don't do work at home or at the office. Anything that would be work to you, you, you try not to do it. A whole day to rest, to be with family, to be with God. So, do you have that day? A day where you unplug? Sabbath is about rest. It's not just about rest. Sabbath is also about salvation. Here's what I mean by that. If you're not careful, you can let the goal-oriented, performance-based ambition of your American way of life kind of seep into your relationship with Christ. If you have a day where you're not doing but simply being, then it reminds you that you are accepted by God, not because of what you do, but because of what he already did. When you have a day you're just enjoying him and the simple pleasures he brings instead of with a great deal of fanaticism going from Bible study to Bible study to Bible study with no Sabbath to think about what you're studying. You see, the Sabbath becomes this picture of what Christ did for us on the cross. It becomes that picture of our acceptance and our justification before God not being built on our merit something we could do. Because the reason some of you are so frantic in your religious activity is that you can't get it out of your head that you have to earn God's love. And the Sabbath slams the brakes on that. Slams the brakes and it points to the cross Reminds us that what the law could not do, weak as it was in the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sin. So we remember. I know some of you are like, well, whatever, pastor. You just work one day a week. <laughs> Come on, pastor. You don't even know what life is like out there. 
I have some th- rebuttals to that, but, you know, <laughs> we can talk about it later. You go, my job is important. I, I manage a team. My job is important. Come on, Pat. I have to rule the universe here. Okay, here's what I would say to you while you count your gold. Maybe a day where you took a step back and you kept yourself from believing that you're God, you're the center of the universe, and that the world would cease to spend if you weren't available, might be a great thing for your perspective. Just a thought. Sabbath is about rest. It's about salvation. Also, Sabbath Sabbath is about mission. I talk about mission a lot because I feel like much of the church today is ambivalent, apathetic, numb, unconcerned with her purpose and her mission. When we say mission, we think of going to other countries. We think of sending money to Africa or whatever else. And we're confused. We think this whole thing is about us individually giving our lives to Jesus. Like, okay, I gave my life to Jesus and my family's doing pretty good and we're a Christian family. And so now we're done. And that's a perversion of what we believe. Listen, Pentecost in Acts 2, it didn't create individual believers. It created the church. Pentecost didn't create individual believers. It created the church. We are given right standing before God, formed together as a community. And now, because of that, we live missionally. Jesus followers making Jesus followers. Churches making churches. So as a Jesus follower, I am a restored image bearer. As a Jesus follower, you are a restored image bearer. My wife is a restored image bearer. And we are praying that all of our kids become restored image bearers. We bear the image of Christ to the world around us. We are agents of reconciliation everywhere we go or we should be. So my barista at Starbucks has a soul. He or she is not there to get me my coffee and get it to me now. My waitress at the restaurant has a soul. She's not just there to get me another Pepsi and do it quick, although I appreciate the quick service. She has a soul. And if she's rude, it's my understanding as a restored image bearer that there's probably hurt and fear and brokenness. That is causing her rudeness to me. And since I've been restored, my response will be grace, patience, and maybe even a larger tip instead of a smaller one. Why? Because I'm an image bearer. I'm an image bearer, and it means I live a certain way in my neighborhood. I live a certain way with my money. I live a certain way with my family. I live a certain way with my vacation. I live a certain way with my hobbies. And there is no sacred, secular divide for me. It's all sacred because I'm an image bearer. I'm an image bearer. You see, the reason I think the bulk of the church or the bulk of church people are bored out of their mind 
and spend all of their energy and efforts trying to quit cussing and stop looking at porn is because in the end, they're outside of the purpose for which they exist. You and I are sanctified, made holy, more like Jesus, as we live missionally. Those two things go together. We are sanctified, made holy, more like Jesus, as we live missionally. That's how it works. That's how you're sanctified. Because if you try to live missionally and your heart starts to say, you know what? I want my money for myself, my own stuff. I want more stuff. I want more trinkets. I don't want to give my money to the poor like the Bible and like God is telling me to do. I don't want to do that. If you don't want to treat your waitress like she has a soul, then what's being revealed is that the grace shown to you in Christ, you are refusing to show others. And you need to repent. And you don't freak out about that. You don't freak out about that being revealed in your heart because that's the way it's supposed to work. That's how we grow. We live missionally for God. And as we're living missionally for God, we find areas in our lives that we don't want to live missionally for God. And God deals with it. And we repent. And we change. And we're sanctified. Glory to glory. One step at a time, more like Jesus. Are you tracking with me? God's saying, You are an image bearer, and I created you to live in a certain rhythm that will keep you on mission. And if you want to walk like this, if you want to be an image bearer, you're going to need the Sabbath. I heard someone once say that the Sabbath is given because if you live life without it, if you live life going from one thing to the other all the time, rushed, frazzled, focused on your empire alone, never stopping to breathe, if you live life like that, then people start to become commodities to you. They're there to meet your needs. They're there to do what you say they should do. And you no longer have real deep relationships. Like, have you ever found yourself snapping at your spouse, or at your kids when they interrupt you from doing something that in the end was probably stupid to begin with? Like whatever you were doing, it just doesn't make any, it's not worth anything? Like what do you want? Why are you interrupting me? I'm posting a picture of us on Facebook. (laughs) Right? That kind of thing. Can you please be quiet? I'm watching the game bunch of 20-something-year-olds sweating on a field. Love it. Watching a game. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Of course not, right? They just interrupt you when you're praying and studying your Bible. <laughs> yeah. what's, what's happened here? Well, your wife is a commodity to you. You don't have to listen to her. You don't have to answer her. You just have to answer this email. Your children are a commodity to you that you can buy and sell and you don't really have to engage and you don't have to go after their hearts. You just have to go to work and make more money. You're off mission. Out of rhythm. And if you're not careful, it will destroy you. 
Do you have a day where you're unplugged? Where you can't be reached by email or texts? Do you have a day where you're not looking at all the stuff you got to do tomorrow? Sabbath reminds us that the people around us have souls. Men, we get to look at our wife on that day and remember how beautiful she is. That she's not a commodity. That she has a soul and a mind. We get to look at our children on that day and for that day they're not annoying to us. We get to eat good food and remember that God came up with these flavors. And in enjoying all of that, we're reminded about how good God is and how gracious he has been to us. And we remember. We rest. We think about God's gift of salvation. We get on mission. We find the rhythm of Genesis 1 and 2 again. Sabbath rhythm. I don't have a lot of practical instruction for you about how to accomplish this in your life today. I, I kind of am going to leave that up to you. Talk to your family, husbands. It's up to you to lead out in this. But I know you need a day, a full day, where you try to do only what gives you energy, not what takes it away. Talk to your life group this week about how to pull this off. But you need a plan. You need to write something down. Because God doesn't suggest this. He commands it. Don't be that four-year-old who, when hearing the commands of a parent, just wants to go back and run in oncoming traffic. Who looks at God and says, you're so mean, or the teenager screaming at their parents that they just want to control her. That's not what this is, church. This is a loving father giving you the rhythm he created you to live best in. He wants peace for you, joy for you, good for you. This is him helping you display his manifold wisdom to the rest of creation. Here's a quote I heard a long time ago that stuck with me. A rabbi said it, which always makes it more legit, right? <laughs> rabbi Abraham Heschel. He said, a man who works with his hands will Sabbath with his mind. And a man who works with his mind will Sabbath with his hands. What does that mean? I have no idea. It's up for you to figure out. <laughs> but let me just ask you one more time. Do you have a day? A day of rest every week. Where it's not about doing, but about being. It's not about producing, but it's about resting and remembering. Because God is serious about the Sabbath. Maybe we should be too. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you again, as I do every week, that your word is so powerful in our lives, that your Holy Spirit just works with your word to transform us, to change us, to help us see where before we were blind.
This, Lord, I feel like is a, is a, is a big blind spot for us. Not just as Great Oaks, but as America, the American church. And Sabbath is just not a part of our weekly lives, our daily thought process. And so some of this is, is kind of new, even though you put it in the top 10 and you made it pretty clear. Some of this for us is new. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to realize the importance of this, that not just to obey your commands and, the, and in that way show our love to you like you told us, God, not just in obeying commands, but in the aspect that this is for us, this is for rest, this is for salvation, to remind us of salvation, this is for mission. God, help us follow your commands because they're your commands, but help us see the Sabbath, this Sabbath rhythm is something you've given us, like the rest of your law, like the rest of your commands, to help us, to help us find joy, to, to keep us from harm, to give us peace. So I pray, God, that today, this morning, whatever, whatever was of me in this message, God, that it would fall easily to the wayside and be quickly forgotten, but whatever is of you, whatever challenge is from you, God, that it would stick with us and that even on our part, we wouldn't run away from the conviction, even if it's biting conviction today, stinging conviction. If we feel that, Lord, let us not run away from that. Let us just sit in it for a moment and feel, God, this godly sorrow in our soul that we've offended a holy God, that we've gotten out of rhythm with the way you created us to live in. God, let us feel that, hold on to that, and allow that to lead us to repentance, a changed life. Lord, if there is even one person in here who has yet to give their lives over to you, their life over to you, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that Holy Spirit, right now, you would overcome all doubt, all obstacles, all even questioning, And that in this moment, right now, they would choose to give their lives over to you completely. And that your Holy Spirit would transform them into a new creation. That in this moment, they would be justified, saved, given your righteousness right now, Lord. We love you. And we pray that as we try to establish godly rhythm in our lives, that you would speak to us, not just about these things we're talking about, but even more, all areas of our lives. And that that devotional rhythm, that we get into that daily and it kind of drives the rest of this, God. But we declare, we admit, we confess that we do not have the willpower or the know-how to make this happen. And so Holy Spirit, I guess we're just... At your mercy, we need your help. Overcome the sin in our hearts, the selfishness in our hearts, the self-centeredness in our hearts and in our lives and help us to establish these godly rhythms. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? But here's my prayer for you today before you head out. May you pause long enough to feel how out of step with God's rhythm you really are. May you seek Sabbath rest in God and find it.
And may the source of your hope forever be not what you can do, but what Christ has already done. Make sure you get to a life group this week and talk this over. Bring somebody with you next week as we continue our rhythm series. And remember, just as you've been helped to take your next step towards God today, so you also should go and help others take their next step towards God. Don't let it stop here. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. Amen? All right, let's sing together. See you next week.